그렇지 않아요. 매일 한국어 공부하고 있어요. 그렇지만 난 Listening in there to the trailer of Hieronimo, a documentary film telling the story of a man, originally Imin Jo, but Hieronimo Lim or Im, uh, part of the Korean diaspora in Cuba. And it's a story of their quest for identity. We have the producer and director of the film, Joseph Chan. You may have uh, heard him giving interviews under his Korean name, Chan Husok. Welcome to the studio. Good morning to you. Thanks for having me. Hieronimo is such an iconic kind of name anyway. It sounds like this <laughs> film's famous, Already. you know, obviously because of the similarity to Geronimo. But mm. I understand you weren't exactly tracking him down when you visited Cuba in 2015. So it was a bit of a serendipitous project the way this came about. Can you take us through that background? Sure. Uh, totally serendipitous and surely by chance. Uh, I was working as an attorney in New York. I was working at a Korean government agency. I was an in-house counsel there. So I was working for four years there. And on my third year, this is right after when uh, President Obama uh, announced a move to normalize relations with Cuba. And I wanted to be one of those first Americans to be there before all the other tourists come in. So um, I went via Canada to uh, land in Cuba, you know, for a pure purpose of enjoying myself, soaking in the sun, drinking rum, smoking cigar. And uh, the driver who came to pick me up at the airport happens to be a Korean descendant. And uh, because I got so curious, um, I asked her, hey, how did you even end up here? You know, I had never heard of Korean diaspora in Cuba. And she said um, her grandpa was sold as indentured servant and her father fought in the Cuban Revolution. (laughs) And so I'm like, holy cow, this is something that I've never heard of. This has to be made into a story. Hence, starting the journey. So when you were in that uh, taxi and you had the holy cow moment you just described, mm-hmm. did you have any equipment? How did, you, how did this like, seed mm-hmm. turn into where we are now? So my initial goal wasn't to produce a feature-length documentary that is worthy of being watched in the theater. It was more like, okay, let's create a 20-minute YouTube video. In order for me to do this, I need a help of a prof- professional. I had a couple of friends who used to work in MTV and whatnot. So I said, hey, I'm going to start a Kickstarter campaign. And then with the raised funds, let's go back, you and maybe another videographer. Let's create a short story about them and then come back. And then I'll continue with my legal profession. I raised more than twice as much as I initially hoped for. And then the, the response from my friends and strangers about this particular story was just immense, enormous, way beyond my expectation. You know, I initially went on this journey thinking that, okay, it would be, if anything, a six months to a year gig. It ended up becoming a three-year project, and uh, I became much more ambitious. I mean, is this your life now, documentary filmmaker, or can you see yourself going back in the legal direction? Totally going back to the legal profession. <laughs> okay, right. Okay. Um, no, I mean, the thing is, uh, I've never been more passionate about a thing before, before running into this family. And the reason is, Me being a Korean-American, I've always sort of struggled with my own sense of identity between the two worlds. And I've been fortunate enough to travel to different parts of the world where I've always run into young Korean descendants who live in that country. 
also seeing how they struggle with their sense of identity. The term of the Korean diaspora was always very near and dear to me. And so for me to discover this guy who fought in the Cuban Revolution, who ultimately rediscovers his Korean identity and fully embraces both of the cultures to be empowered as who he is, was really, for me, it was a lifetime project. Yeah, I mean, th- this is a film that's going to be released in Korea in November. I, I want to mention that because uh, we will have the opportunity, many of us, to enjoy this. I know a few people have had screenings already mm. of the version that's out before your final edit. But let's um, go a little further and, and explore what you found out. So there was a, a migratory process, uh, people in the late Joseon period moving to Mexico mm-hmm. in search of the land of milk and honey. Mm-hmm. Obviously, it didn't work out that way for many of them. (laughs) Yeah, far from it. Um, Yeah, at the end of Joseon Dynasty uh, in 1905, you know, there was a famine in the country. They were on the verge of being annexed by Japan. And, you know, people wanted to find hope, uh, some even outside of Korea. So when they read this uh, advertisements on newspapers that described this Mexico as heaven and earth, Um, a country that's very close to the U.S. and very similar to the U.S. in terms of finance and civilization. Um, These thousand Koreans who didn't know much better boarded on the ship thinking that they're going to this land of promise. And if things didn't work out, you know, they thought, okay, we can always come back because the contract was only for four years, right? Little did they know once they got to the farm, the working conditions, this is arguable, but... was worse than a lot of the slavery conditions uh, in the Americas at the time. That's why a lot of academics don't hesitate to use the term slavery to describe their life and being there. And so after four years, what happens? They don't earn the the wages that they were promised. So they started going around different farms to basically sustain themselves with the intention of going back to country, to the motherland, Korea. But what happens a year later is Japan occupies Korea and they become stateless. So all of them start wandering all across Mexico. Some of them migrated to Cuba in 1921 because they heard that in Cuba there's a sugar boom. And uh, if we go there, we can finally become rich and live the life that was promised originally. And before Hieronimo enters this picture, you actually uh, focused, didn't you, on his, on his father, mm. Im c h a n t e k And you actually made a short film, Letter to My Children. Mm. Um, Im c h a n t e k was recognized for his distinguished service to independence posthumously in 1997. Let's just get a, an overview of his story. Of course. So he's one of the 1,033 Koreans that boarded on the ship in Incheon to come to Mexico. He was only two years at the time. He's the father of Heronimo, who's the main character of my film. The reason I I made this short film, and it was really a a practice exercise, not to demean or trivialize his contribution and the importance of this character, but because as I was making a film about Heronimo, I thought, man, his father is another guy who's worthy of being made into a film. Um, So let's try and make a, a short film just dedicating to his legacy alone. Um, So I I did that. But what he did was when he moved to Cuba in 1921, he was like 18 years old. At the time, he initiated and he was one of the the visionaries who organized a movement to collect funds for Korea's independence. So he started sending funds to the provisional government in Shanghai. And what they did was they donated one spoonful of rice 
for their each meal, which will be then turned into money, which will be then turned into uh, independence funds, right? Despite their own hardship, they're connected with Korea's plight. Where does Hieronymus come in? When was he born? So and he was, where exactly? Sure, he was born in uh, 1926 in Matanzas, Cuba. Um, so he's a second generation Korean, right? They lived very poorly until the revolution. And they were discriminated against. And they were second, third class citizens because of their origin. And so I think growing up, I think Hieronimo faced um, a lot of hardships financially in both their social status in the society. One of the controversial aspects, well, I don't know if it's controversial, but perhaps some people would view it this way, is that Hieronimo is uh, seen as a hardcore socialist who took part in this revolution, a, a classmate of Fidel Castro. I mean, what a... I mean, that, that, those kind of details are <laughs> obviously what piqued your interest. Sure. But the background's a little uncomfortable given what was going on with the North and South Korea divide later. Absolutely. Um, your description is true. He was a hardcore revolutionary indeed. But if we look at the context in which he became a hardcore revolutionary, as I just alluded to, he was a second, third-class citizen until the revolution. So I think when there was a call for a, a social change in this corrupted government, I think Heronimo probably thought that participating and achieving the revolution was the only way for him to elevate his status or become equal with all the other Cuban citizens. Hence him really believing in this uh, ideology. But was there a crossover? Because with this happening at a time when the Koreas were split and mm -hmm. North Korea standing for a, what might be a similar ideology on, on the surface, is that a conflict at all? So what's interesting is, you know, Cuba actually um, helped South Korea during the Korean War in 1950. This is nine years before the revolution. So since 1960, in Cuba, there's only North Korean embassy. And it is true that most of Koreans in Cuba initially aligned themselves with the values and ideals of North Korea, just because they're not only attached ethnically to their motherland, but because they're the political and ideological ally of Cuba, right? But there's a point in which they come around, and this is uh, well captured in the movie. You've given us every reason to check it out. <laughs> Again, it's going to be released uh, in Korea in November. You're going to have some final touches. Do you have a final message that you'd like to communicate with us? Oh, absolutely. So I wanted to make this film personally for two reasons. Uh, one is to help all the Korean descendants living outside of Korea to be comfortable with who they are and to be proud of where they come from. And second, to really fundamentally challenge the way in which Koreans view their brethren who live outside of Korea. Because I think the way Koreans view their diasporic family, extended families, is generally very skeptical and negative. Mm. Korean ethnic Chinese living in Korea are basically second-class citizens. North Korean defectors who live in Korea is also looked down upon. There's a pity... For you know, Korean adoptees who number over you know five hundred thousand around the world, mm -hmm. and also you know Korean Americans are viewed with envy, thinking that they're opportunistic, they're you know out there for their own you know survival, not caring for the country. So I, I really wanted to challenge this that there is a group of Koreans who live in Cuba who went through the revolution in the special period and the starvation, who really try hard to sustain their sense of identity and legacy. 
Thank you so much, Joseph John, John Husok. Great to have you with us sharing the story of Hieronimo. We'll be looking forward to seeing its reception with the final release um, in November. November, yeah. Thank you, Alex, for having me.